Hello there. This is your non-British co-host, Adam St. John, with a brief message before today's episode. Something happened during the recording session in which we recorded three episodes, and for whatever reason, my microphone didn't sound as great as it normally does. Now, Ian, in his total Britishness, sounds fantastic as he always does. I, on the other hand, sound kind of distant and not as clear as I normally do. Uh, Please believe us that the problem has been solved and going forward we will be okay but for today's episode it will not we apologize and we didn't want to re-record because we enjoyed the conversation that we had and we hope that you enjoy it too thanks and enjoy this episode And welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. Uh, my name is Ian Woodington. Ian! How are you doing this week? I'm fabulous. How are you, sir? Good. Good. Yeah. Just uh, watching more movies and taking more notes. Yeah. All that good stuff. Um, as we do every week, we will uh, bring you some recommendations before we talk about our main film. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go first. Please week. do. And most of the time when I do these, they're movies I've seen for the first time. Most, I, if, I, if I were to track back and look at all the ones I've done, they've probably been mostly first-time views. And this one is not. This was a, a second viewing, and not to confirm how much I enjoyed it the first time, but we watched it, and it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. And uh, my recommendation this week is Denis Villeneuve's prisoners well we uh yeah so okay so you're doing kind of a callback we were talking about enemy enemy a couple weeks back um which is which is a good movie of the movies i've seen it's probably my least favorite but that's not to say that i don't think it's good because i enjoyed it i mean everything i've seen that he's done is just fantastic and this might be my favorite i think not not for what he does as a director so much because i think he handles the camera better and i mean personally i think sicario is his best direction of a film like his use of the camera but i am a sucker for this story i think the acting in this movie is fantastic so basically um if you if you don't know it, it oh uh, Hall is frighteningly good at yeah it. so uh, the movie revolves around uh these two families and the heads of the family you have um hugh jackman and maria bello are a couple and then you also have um terrence howard and viola davis and they're 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 friends, and they have kids, and they each have a, a they each have young daughters that go missing, and um, Paul Dano plays a slightly mentally handicapped person who is suspected of taking them. He's ultimately cleared of those charges, and he lives with his aunt, played by Melissa Leo, who is creepily good in this movie. I know the the names keep coming in this film. Yeah. Man. Oh, it's a stat cast. Yeah. Very good, and so. Jake Gyllenhaal is assigned to this case, and it, it's clear early on that he he's never he's always solved the cases he has, and the movie takes a lot of turns. You know, they release Paul Dano, and then there's the the creepy guy from The Dark Knight is in it, um, who plays another suspected person who might have taken the girls, and the movie revolves around basically trying to find the person that took the girls jake gyllenhaal following the the um the legal route of going through he's a, he's a detective but so much of this movie stems on hugh jackman's decision to basically kidnap paul dano and keep him trapped in an old apartment building that he owns and he basically is torturing paul dano to get the information of where their kids are um oh building the box in the bathtub and yeah yeah Ooh. It is now. Now I will put it right out there. This is a hard movie to watch. There's not a lot of graphic scenes in it, but it is 
subject matter wise, it's it's tough. Yeah, it goes to some places I didn't expect that yeah, it would. But it is phenomenal. It was one of the most. I forget what year it came out. Maybe I think 2014 or 2013. But it was one of the most overlooked movies that year. It was nominated for cinematography, which I think it totally deserved. But not enough people talked about Prisoners, and it was it was really good. And, and I hadn't watched it since. You know, you know that year in terms of you know trying to culminate a top ten list and everything. So it's been about what four or five years since I've seen it, and it holds up. It's fantastic. The acting is great. Everybody is is wonderful in it. Um, yeah, it's I can't really smart storytelling. I can't remember where it fell on my ten best of the year, but it was it was definitely on there. I think it was in the bottom five, but it was, I think it was it was my still, top five. It was still yeah. on there. It's a great film. So it doesn't connect to, to our main movie at all. It just Melissa and I watched it recently when we were snowed in and just reminded of just how great a movie that really is. Well, it was also, it paved the way for, for Hall to do Nightcrawler. I mean, I feel like that as it's far like, as, as like far as other, where he was. It's like the other side of that coin though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That same oh, sort Nightcrawler of style. Is so good too. Yeah. Ah, I haven't seen, fantastic. I haven't seen Velvet Buffsaw yet. I haven't either. I'm either. so stoked for that. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. yeah. I've watched the trailer for it like four times. Yeah. I haven't watched the movie yet. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that is my recommendation for the week. Uh, Ian, what do you have? Well, I was, uh, I was trolling through Hulu because I, I, I have multiple streaming services, but I feel like Hulu is the one it. that I use the least. So I'm like, I, I need agree. to I need to try and get a yeah. little bit more money out of this thing. So let's take a look at, you know, what movies are are new or what movies that I've overlooked that are that are in Hulu. And there's some great stuff in there. I there mean, there's is. some stuff in Hulu that some other places don't have. Yep. Uh, they get. I, I think it's an overlooked service. Um, so I watched The Hero with Sam Elliott's. Uh, Nick Offerman, uh, Kristen Ritter, and uh, Catherine Ross. I don't even know this movie. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's one of those, and it's very short. It's a very quick, easy watch, 90 minutes, 100 minutes, something like that. Yeah. He is uh, a Western actor. I mean, he's kind of, he's playing a variation on himself. This is Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, a variation on that type of actor uh, who is well past his prime. I love the way the film opens. It's him in a recording booth recording the voiceover for a barbecue commercial. It's a Lone Star Barbecue, the perfect partner for your chicken. Hey. It's it's good. And the fact, what I love about it is how frustrated he, because he, he nails it first time. And they just keep asking, can you do one more? Lee, can you do one more? Can I get just one more? It's so, and it just, it goes on for a good five minutes or so. And it doesn't fatigue you at all because it's just, the very the, this speaks to how good Sam Elliott is an actor. The varying degrees of how his level of irritation is growing yeah. is just, oh, it's so subtle and so good. Uh, anyway, so the the basic plot is that he um, he lives next door to Nick Offerman, who is a former actor as well. They were on a series together. That's how they met and became good friends, close friends, neighbors as well. And Nick Offerman is also his his drug dealer. He's like, he has a great line about, hey, it's legal, man. You can just go down the street and get it. He's like, but Sam Elliott's one of those guys who's stuck in his ways. He's always bought weed from him and so probably always will. I, I kind of, it's, it's a really nice dynamic and you can really feel just how privileged it comes straight through the screen. You can tell how privileged Nick Offerman feels to be sharing scenes with Sam Elliott, which is really nice. Sure, and, yeah. and, and it informs the character as well because he is... You know, an actor who is quite a few years his his junior and probably looked up to him and was probably over the moon when they did this failed series together. Yeah. Um, which Nick Offerman is is very upset at the fact that he, he talks about how he dies in the second episode and that is the catalyst for the rest of the show, which only ran for like 13 episodes or something yeah. like that. There's a great moment where he actually talks about finding it online and you know, they have this beautiful reminisce about it. Anyway, he is uh, estranged from his uh, adult daughter, who's in her mid-30s. Uh, of course, they have a very strange relationship. Kind of think the relationship Mickey Rourke and his daughter has in The Wrestler. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's really reminiscent of that. And uh, the beginning of the film, he gets called up by his agent saying, hey, there's this Western preservation and appreciation society that want to give you a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so he's like, oh, okay. And so he goes to the ceremony. He ends up going with, um, I can't remember her character's name, but Laura Prepon is the actress yeah. who's very famous for being in that 70s show. She's also on Orange is the New Black. Yep. Yep. Um, 
So he meets her through Nick Offerman and they kind of spark up a relationship. I mean, there's 40 years between them, but she has this thing where she's a stand-up comedian and she's into older guys, which comes up later in the film where he comes to one of her shows and ends up not liking what he's hearing okay. about himself. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are some cliched sort of moments in this movie, but sure. Sam Elliott being as good as he is, and we've talked about how good he is, especially recently in A, a Star, Star is Born. Born. Yeah. Uh, just how much he elevates this very, very simple film. Yeah. And of course, the, the award ceremony bit is the best because she like slips something into her drink. And so he's like, well, I'll, I'll have that as well. And so he goes and he's on this buzzy high and it's just this really beautiful moment of appreciation, especially when he's up there. His speech for the award ends up going viral and getting him all this like late in life attention and these job offers and things like that. And of course, I won't ruin it for you, but it's... Th- when I say think the wrestler, it it does very much go okay. in that direction. Nice. It also reminded me a little bit. I mean, if I'll if I double feature this this recommendation, it reminded me as well of uh, Lucky, uh, Harry Dean Stanton's last film, mm-hmm. which is also it's funny enough is on Hulu as well. Again, which deals with these these actors very late in their lives and yeah. having these you know late in life hits. I, I think it was the, a beautiful swan, swan song to, for Harry Dean Stanton to go out on, so I would definitely recommend both of those. I'm sure they would make a wonderful double feature as well. But that, in speaking about this, it also got me thinking about somebody that we lost about a month ago, uh, Albert Finney, who unfortunately passed on, uh, I believe it was the first week of February, probably the 7th. Yeah. Um, and I was, again, I was trolling for Albert Finney stuff and found Murder on the Orient Express, which I hadn't seen 15 years easy and how underappreciated his Perot is. You, you'd mentioned that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, man. But I'm, I'm sure anybody listening to this, they'll know him for his stuff, probably from Aaron Brockovich onward and being the guy who's the head of Treadstone at the end of the Bourne trilogy. Yeah, he's a big fish. Big he's fish. A Skyfall. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but such such a, a lot. I mean, he lived a long, good, full life. Oh yeah, yes. It just it was it kind of bummed me out to hear that news. I mean, my I'll, I'll right now my favorite performance of his is in Miller's Crossing, which is oh that. man, yeah. that's like top three or four Coen Brothers for me. It, it, so I, wonderful. It's, it's moving that. up the list to watch because yeah. I, I it's burning a hole in my shelf. And it, and it's it's my it's my type of film as well. I love those 1930s prohibition era gangster films, stuff sure? like uh, do, The what Untouchables. Are, what, are your, what are your thoughts of Rota Perdition? I love Road Okay, good, great. Okay, sorry. We don't really talk about it, but I, I think that's I think it's probably Sam Mendes' probably most un, underappreciated film, yeah, yeah. right up there with uh, with Revolutionary Road. I feel like that one has kind of fallen by the wayside when yeah. people talk about Mendes' filmography. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, but so, anyway, so yeah. I sorry I ended up you know this kind of three shout outs. Right yeah. There. Hey, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. See movies. Watch movies. Yeah. Watch I'm, Watch Albert Finney movies. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just watch. I mean, he's yeah. There's plenty. I, to and film. I I barely. That was tip of the iceberg there. I didn't even talk about how good his Churchill is in the HBO film, The, the Gathering Storm. Oh, I, I mean, never saw that. Up until, you know, obviously very recently Gary Oldman played. I mean, that yeah. was the definitive Churchill performance. In fact, when Tarantino went to, to um, why am I blanking on his name? The Australian actor who was in uh, the original Time Machine. Anyway, he went to him to play Churchill in Inglorious Bastards. And of course he picks up the phone and goes, well, you've got, you've got Albert Finney, man. Like he is the end all be all of Churchill's. And Tarantino said to him, look, if you turn me down, then I'll think about Albert Finney, which is wow. To hear that. I mean, you have to take the role at that point. Yeah. Awesome. A lot of recommendations there. That's great. So none of those movies have anything to do with what we're talking about today. Um, And this movie was a poll we put out there. Um, So we initially had a poll out there uh, was Fellini versus Fellini versus Bergman. Bergman and Bergman won, and so we decided, you know what, we'll get to, we got to get to Fellini. He's in the book a lot, so then we just decided to pick two of his movies, uh, Eight and a Half and La Dolce Vita, and Eight and a Half won. And so, hey, here we are today talking about Eight and a Half. It came out in 1963, uh, directed by Federico Fellini, written by him, and let me butcher these Italian names. This will be fun. Um, Ennio Flaiano. Tullio Pinelli and Brunello Rondi. That wasn't bad. Oh, yeah, that not so bad. Yeah. All very frequent collaborators of his. They also worked on La Dolce Vita. Yes. Um, and the main cast, there's a lot of people. I, so Marcello uh, Mastrioni um, as Guido is obviously who we're following throughout the entire thing. I also wrote down um, Claudia Cardinal as Claudia. Um, Probably new... most people would know her, I think, from Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, huh. 
I don't know that I, I... I mean, I've only seen the movie once and I really liked it, but I don't know that I could put a face to the to the movie. Um, Anouk Amy as Louisa. Sandra Milo as Carla. And Rosella Falk as Rosella. Do you have anybody else? Uh, I have... Uh... Jean Rogel as uh, Carini. He's the sort of writer-critic, which is yeah. kind of the voice in his ear for a, a lot of the movie, the kind of cynic in his life. Mm-hmm. or one. Well, I guess you should say one of the many cynics in his life. That's very true. Very true. Um, anybody else? Because, I, mean, I mean, it's a big cast. There's a lot yeah. of people in this movie. Well, it's... the only other person I would call out as uh, somebody that audiences may know is the, the guy who composed the score for it, Nino Rota, yes. who would go on to compose... The Godfather. The Godfather. Now... In reading some of the trivia and little factoids about this film, apparently the the love theme for The Godfather can be heard in this film. Yeah. Like an early version of it. I was listening for it. I didn't hear it. Did you catch it? I, I want to say at one point I wrote down, this is familiar, dot, 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 Godfather, question mark. Oh, I, okay. Yeah. But so, you, I, so, so you did kind of catch it. A then. little bit, yeah. But I couldn't tell if it was just more, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to generalize, but, you know, it, this is an Italian movie. The Godfather is Italian characters. I did, it just, it's like... I didn't know if it just had that Italian flair to it. That's why I wasn't quite sure if it was exactly it or mm-hmm. just reminded me of it. But that's yeah. my mind did go there. Um, so uh, Fellini, he's in the book a fair amount of times. Let's talk about some of the movies that he's in the book uh, for. Um, the Road, which came out in 54. Knights of Cabiria, which is in 57. La Dolce Vita, 1960. Juliet of the Spirits, 1965. Satyricon, which looks bizarre. In 1969, and I feel like I always say this wrong. Amarcord? Amacord? No, that's. I'd say that's right. Okay. Uh, Amacord in 1973. Now, Um, Satricon kind of looks like it's got a whole Caligula thing. It looks crazy. Like Salo meets Caligula going on about it. That's awful. Um, (laughs) So, stats. um, Criterion Collection. Sponsor us, Criterion Collection. Anyway, um, it is a Criterion Collection. Oh, and their restoration is. It's good. It is, but there's something that they couldn't do, they couldn't fix, but we'll talk about. I want to bring it up later because it drove me nuts throughout the movie. Um, So, uh, accolades. Uh, For a foreign film, up for a surprising amount of Academy Awards, which is kind of interesting to see. Uh, Nominated for director and original screenplay and production design. It won costume design and foreign film. Uh, It also won foreign film of the BAFTAs. Uh, It was nominated for a DGA. Won... Best director at the Golden Goblets? That's a weird one. That's yeah, an Italian I, I, thing. I don't know that one. Uh, and then the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists, it pretty much walked away with almost everything it was nominated for. Director, um, production uh, production design, supporting actor, screenplay, original story, cinematography, and score, blah, 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 a lot of stuff. Well, um, they also, National Board of Review also gave it the best, best foreign, foreign film. film. Mm-hmm. And here's my little tie-in to Albert Finney. Yeah. It lost uh, director to Tony Richardson, who had directed Tom, Tom Jones, Jones, which was Albert Finney's breakout. Yes, it so was. So there we go, loop back to the beginning there. And uh, so currently it sits at number 10 on the BFI's top 50 films of all time. Wow, that is... That's high. It is high. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It has a critical view, a critical score of ninety-eight, with an audience score of ninety-two. It's not on the IMDb two fifty, and of course, oh. it's a foreign film. So what? Here's another interesting one. So you remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Deer Hunter, how our positions. When I took my notes, it was number one sixty-nine, and I think you had said that you know, when you took yours, it was one sixty-six. So when I took my notes for. Eight and a half. It was on the IMDb two fifty. It was number two forty eight. Oh, well, I, that's so funny you bring it up because do you know there's two or there's a, there's one recent movie that is very high up on the on the IMDb two fifty now that I think might have helped bump it off. Which is the Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Oh yes, it's up there at like fifty now. And so, wow. Now I haven't seen it, so I'm not judgment. I'm no, not no, gonna, yeah, yeah, I'll reserve judgment but, until I see yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah, it is not eight and a half is not on the IMDb two fifty. At least as of now. Considering how widely regarded it is in pretty much every other forum is is very interesting. I think it speaks to... I, I won't get on a soapbox about millennials, but... You there can you go. if you want to. No, that's that's fine. Um, so did you have anything uh, review-wise or anything kind of critical that you wanted to... No, but uh, it's David Lynch's favorite film. I did, yeah, I did. Um... I did read that, which is inter- which to me speaks of how it's uh, how well regarded. If if somebody like David Lynch, who is a true author, is going to come out and say this is his favorite film of all time, I, I think that really holds weight. That means something. Well, sure, and well, and Truffaut was even noted as saying that uh, Fellini's film is complete, simple, 
beautiful, honest, like one of like the one that Guido wants to make an eight and a half. So it was a big Truff, Truffaut was a big fan of this movie. Well, as well. well, I think just the industry in general. You have so many people who have used it as inspiration and a springboard. People like Woody Allen, Charlie Kaufman when yep. he made Synecdoche. Still haven't seen. Neither have I. Oh really? No, I, I really want to. Might have to sit together. Yeah, yeah, I. Well, I mean, I. Anything Philip Seymour Hoffman, man. That's true. What a That's still true. what a loss. Um. So the only thing I wanted to say critically was um. So the New York Times. Bosley Crowther. Hey, that, that there old, he is. We love guy. Bosley Crowther. Um, he said that this was a piece of entertainment that will really make you sit up straight and think. A movie endowed with the challenge of a fascinating intellectual game. If Mr. Fellini has not produced another masterpiece, another all-powerful exposure of Italy's ironic sweet life, he has made a stimulating contemplation of what might be called, with equal irony, a sweet guy. Which I don't, I don't know if I agree with. Yeah, sweet I, guy, I don't. I, and I did, I did find that. Little yeah. segment of his review, but I know how much you love Bosley Crowther, so oh, we have, I, fig- yeah, I figured yeah. you would take the reins uh, on that. But some one. other some other prominent critics, inclu- including Paul and Kale, did not like the movie. Yeah, I did um, see that. Yeah, so that's just interesting. The only other thing I want to mention now that sort of I think is funny is the the REM song "Everybody Hurts," which was very popular when it came out. Is very based. It's based heavily off of the opening of the movie with everybody stuck in traffic and black and white. Mm. Um, I don't know if you if you've seen that music video at all. Oh, I years ago. Yeah, but it, when when I read that, I was like, oh my god, it absolutely ripped that off, didn't it? Which is it, which is just which makes sense for somebody like a guy like Michael Stipe. Well, so, I had uh, I yeah. had I had one more. Do it. It got unanimous acclaim, sort of abroad. I mean, as you mentioned, there were a few naysayers here in the states, including Pauline Kale. Yeah. I did find. One uh, quote that interested me from an Italian writer and critic, uh, Alberto Morovia, the film is introverted, a sort of private monologue interspersed with glimpses of reality. Fellini's dreams are always surprising and, in a figurative sense, original, but his memories are pervaded by a deeper, more delicate sentiment, which I think sums up this film. I mean, that's... That's it. That's the nail on the head right there. I, you know, yeah, it is. Because I, I, as as I'm taking notes for this movie, I multiple times had to go is this real yeah what what is fantasy what is memory because i was there were moments where i was genuinely confused and at the end you know my interpretation maybe it's been other people's or whatever is that none of it was i i don't know that any of that was real and i don't know how how like i'm not gonna give that my stamp of approval but i got to the end of that movie and i was it's like what's going on well that that sentiment sort of supports i think more the original title the beautiful confusion. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think is a much better title than Eight and a Half, which is very uh, self-aware and a little bit indulgent on Fellini's part. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it really represents, is. for anybody who doesn't know, it represents the number of films that he had made up to that time. Uh, six features, two shorts, and a collaboration with another filmmaker, which he considers the half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ian, what, should we talk about the plot a little bit? Yeah. Because really... There isn't a ton of plot. Not really, yeah. So uh, Guido is trying to make a movie, and essentially he's got, I guess, whatever you'd call the director's version of writer's block is. He doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Well, it's and... almost like he's he's forgotten the plot. It, he has literally lost the plot. Yeah. Um, and it ends up being a sort of a, a commentary on what it's like to be an artist and and meet deadlines and be creative on the spot when you've lost that creative juice. Um, well, the expectations, I think, that everybody puts on you i mean i imagine that this is such a well-regarded film in the industry because so many of the filmmakers that love it have felt that sort of pressure yeah you think of people like steven spielberg i mean imagine the pressure that was on him after doing something like raiders of the lost ark to deliver again which i mean fortunately he did or or somebody like woody allen after annie hall yeah yeah. For example, there's also um, a subplot going on where basically Guido is def- he's a womanizer and he's dealing with some marital issues with his with his wife who ends up coming to the area in which they're all which they're hanging out and and shooting the film. Well, he's at a he's at a spa, he's at a retreat, kind of relaxing which again, and again when they cut to him there, I thought, "Oh, this isn't real." This isn't a real place. Oh, with everybody all lining up and yeah. sort of yeah, the almost dreamlike quality. Exactly. I go, oh, this is a continuation of of the the dream from the beginning. This isn't this yeah. isn't real. Well, it speaks to his state of mind being as lost as he is and being in this dreamlike yeah. sort of capacity. So, I mean, I'm sure we obviously left out details. I mean, there's obviously things that come up 
between, you know, there's stuff from his past that comes up. Yeah, a lot of reminiscing about his, you know, religious upbringing, being at, yes. a, at a religious school, yep. and his uh, his encounters with the the woman living on the beach. Yes, yeah, that was that was kind of interesting. His sort of his and the other boys in his group, their sort of sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, totally. Which I don't feel was explored enough, if I'm honest. Sure. Um. So. What do you want, is it, where do you want to start? And you just want to, is there, I mean, like, when you think of this movie, what's something that you, like, we both watched this movie, so what's something that you want to let me know about it right off the bat? How frustrated I was. Okay. How ultimately frustrated I was with the entire, there's a good movie in there. There is a, there is a fabulous movie in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's very indulgent. Oh it, oh, it totally is. It totally is. I mean, and it's, I... There's, okay, so there is a tagline on IMDb, which I, I, I was just, again, at the end of the movie, I'm doing my research, I'm, you know, typing up my notes, and I'm, I'm finding little tidbits to use. Uh, one of the taglines on the posters that IMDb listed as, as, as one of the taglines anyway, the film talks about you, about your life, about your family, about your work, about your doubts, about your dreams. You will see yourself in the leading role as though you were looking in a mirror. This is your film. Which I feel is a very, very broad sentiment because I, there are so many people that, that I feel couldn't relate to this film. Yeah. I mean, this is very much about an artist, somebody who gives so much of himself. Well, in a particular kind of artist. Exactly. I, I think that's, that's something that I think needs to be clear. Is Not that, just an artist, but a successful artist. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and an eccentric one and one in the public eye. Because, you know, as an actor, I know plenty of, of actors and writers and directors who are not nearly as self-obsessed as Guido is. Oh, that's the, there you go. That's the perfect word. And it's just, it's, it's, it was interesting because th- there are parts of it that I, that I as an actor and as a, sometimes a director, can connect to this idea of, is what I'm putting out good enough, you know? And, and, and am I, am, is this the right thing to be, to be doing? And... I do think artists tend to get very in their heads about the work that they're doing, but Guido takes it to another level. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's for me, it's trying to put, it's trying to put a lot of things together because Guido is an awful person. I don't oh, think yeah. that he's, and people have said he's charming and whatever, and he has a very that that early on when he's at the spring and he, he clicks the the sunglasses down to the brim of his nose and he's that's a very iconic image i think he i think it's very stunning like yeah. it just looks very captivating oh he gets to be so cool so effortlessly and the camera work in this movie is i think it's wonderful oh it's the it, best part it, of this film it glides so well uh, I remember thinking the stuff in the steam room where it, it like keeps turning and he's got different people that he's oh where he's to. meeting that archbishop yeah, yeah that's just that's great awesome stuff. Yeah. um and even the I I actually was really the shot of him up in the sky where he's the kite yeah and you can see his 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 foot tied to the rope and that that shot's really great and then when the you see the body drop I I actually kind of jumped a little bit I was no. like oh damn and clearly it's, it's not real it's but, a it's a great way to start the film and I it mean, looks it, great oh yeah. yeah and the opening is. I think the oh man I don't know the opening might be my favorite part of the movie. I would agree with it's that. It's really good. One thing I didn't know and um, again Paige is shuffling if you hear this. Are we going to talk about Italian filmmaking? Yes, god. Okay, so I'm not going to read from my notes, but basically it was common practice to not record the sound live. And this is up until very recently. This is not this is not an overly For old Italian thing. Films that, yeah. yeah. Even with Italian television, I mean the, I remember I I love Rome. Rome is one of my absolute favorite HBO shows, and of course they shot the whole thing on massive sets at Cinecitta, one of the most famous studios in the world. Mm-hmm. And they would have so many problems with extras kept their phones in their costume, and so phones would be going off during sh- and ruining takes and ruining shots because they're just used to not that, shooting oh, with sound. So crazy! But so where it there are some benefits because that means. And the same way in which Leone got to cast people from all over the world in the in the Dollars trilogy. I mean, everybody can just show up and they can speak the dialogue in their own language, which is what they did. That way you don't have to worry about people having to learn Italian or oh, learning this or learning yeah. that. And so it, it, it opens up your freedom when it comes to casting, but I don't feel that that's a benefit that outweighs the negative because you're never going to have... Everybody speaks the dialogue in their own language and then they... 
Man. Then, then it, they dub in the dialogue in all the different languages where you're going to release the film. At first, I thought it was just a random thing in a couple of scenes. And then when I realized early on, no, 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 this is just... It's just never going to sync up. And, it, man, it's... Unless you watch it in Italian, but here's the issue with that, is because of not recording the dialogue at the same time you're shooting it, Fellini actually rewrote some of the dialogue in post-production. So even if you were watching it in Italian... There's some dialogue that still wouldn't match up because they're not the actors aren't saying what they said on set. Well, well no, wait, 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 wait. When you say watch it in Italian, you mean because I watched it with the subtitles. Is that in in Italian? Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm talking about. The, the dialogue is never going to match up no matter what language you watch oh, yeah, it in okay, gotcha. because yeah, of the yeah, fact exactly. that he would rewrite some dialogue in post. So the actors, as I said, they weren't even sometimes saying the same things that they said on set. It's and I get and, it's and an no, odd practice. Yes, I, and knowing. I, and knowing that that it was that it's that it wasn't like a Fellini thing, it was literally just what that's they just did. Italian cinema. That that's so tough, man. Yeah. It, it was really hard to watch. I wonder, was Life is Beautiful? That was shot. That wasn't that's an Italian film. I don't I don't remember that. It must have. I think I think the have... practice had, had ended by then. I okay. didn't I didn't find the exact date of when they actually started recording was, the sound. No, but I mean, it, it, like, it, that, but that's an old enough film now. That's almost twenty years old yeah. that movie. And so I was just curious to know. But that's. So just know that if you are curious to watch this movie, just know that now because I didn't beforehand, and it was it was it drew me out. Well, if you're if you're bit. familiar enough with some of Leone's work, is you know if you've watched the Dollars trilogy at all, you'll you'll kind of know what you're in for. Sure. Well, here's when I when I say that I'm frustrated with this film, and I I have your similar frustrations as well about sound and and sound syncing and things like that. But the plot in itself, I don't feel is reason enough to make the movie. When I said that there is a good movie in here, the the good movie is his reminiscences. It's sure. him. I almost feel like a better way to approach this film would almost have been in a Citizen Kane way, where you have maybe a director who has come towards the end of his life and is remembering all the formative things that made him who he was yeah. and his strengths and his weaknesses. But the fact that he's just a director that's lost the plot, that in itself is not a plot. No, but I don't think the movie hinges on it, though. I mean, I, 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 it, it's, it's the loose thing that connects all of these things together. Yes. His, his, not only, not only his memories, but also his fantasies. Yeah. I think one of the more fascinating parts of the movie is where all of the women in his life are basically oh, his, living together. His, and, his fantasy harem. Yeah, and the one has reached an age which is never said, but now she has to go upstairs. And upstairs is where the older women go to to live the rest of their lives, and she can't stay downstairs with the younger the younger women. And I don't know I don't know what it is about that. That is honestly where I started to tune this movie out. I'm like, this is just getting so ridiculous and indulgent. See, and that's why I think is it I, is it necessary? I think it pulled me back in because at this I I because I, I th- at this point everything seemed to be all over the place. Yeah, you know. So I think I was like, oh, this is this is another weird thing going on. Um, and it's such a male male fantasy thing to, which to, again I again that plays into my my feelings of how indulgent this film is yeah. I know that he is a womanizer and I know that he has problem keeping these women in his life and I know what a bastard he is yeah. as far as cheating on his wife yeah. do I really need this fantasy sequence to it doesn't add anything for me no it, it's it's an, it, honestly it's it's not just self indulgent in terms of the 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 writing and everything else but it's also just it seemed like another chance for Fellini to do some some fun camera work because again, part of that, what's great about it is the way that the camera moves throughout. There's some great shadow play mm-hmm. as the camera moves around that long table. It's it's really it's really interesting. I think at the end, what we get to ultimately is that his wife is the one who who, who she's the one controlling everything. That that really she is the the backbone of of him, but he just doesn't doesn't know it yet. Yeah. And while you're talking about the wife, she's my favorite part of the film. I love where she she comes to stay with with him where he's working on the film and he also has his mistress there at the same time yeah. and they see each other in the courtyard but previously before that scene they've had the argument in bed Have you? yes which is one of the most realistic things I've ever seen in a film yeah being married now for almost three years I can tell you that you know people say don't go to bed angry yeah but you know you do <laughs> and so That's you have those conversations yeah. oh, where yeah. you feel you're in a bed together but the bed feels like it's you're a miles oh, yeah. apart. Yeah. That that void, you know. Uh, I wish I could remember the lyric now, but uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Joy Division. Ian Curtis, the, the lead singer of that, who ultimately killed himself at a very young age, he has a song uh, where he talks about that touching from a distance. 
which I which jumped into my mind when I saw that scene. Yeah, uh, it's so realistic. It's it's one of the most honest thing in a film that I. I'm talking about being so indulgent. This is the flip side. It's, it's a film with a few moments of absolute truth and, and, and sort of genuine sentiment and sort of, you know, genuine realities. Well, and something something that the movie brings up too, it's, it's unrelated, but it, it's something that didn't get explored all that much. But I, I found really interesting was, you know, what does a flop mean to the artists versus what does a flop mean to the producers? Oh, the producer character is great. Because it really does bring up an interesting idea that, you know, if you're a director or an actor, you can be in a bad film and it might not necessarily ruin your career. It's, it's maybe a blemish, you know, but if you're a producer and you're putting millions of dollars into the production of a movie and it doesn't make even close to what you put into it that could be the end of your career you know schwarzenegger made what schwarzenegger was in batman and robin and that movie was awful and he still had had a career great he went into the politics too but people make bad movies yeah or act like actors directors they make bad films but as the artists they're the ones coming you know producers while they do have a creative input are a lot of times they're just there for the money. Well, look at what it did to while we're while we're on the Batman and Robin. Look at what it did to Joel Schumacher's reputation. Yeah, right. You know, and and I think he managed to bounce back because I uh, underappreciated films that he made, such as Eight Millimeter or or well, Tigerland. Eight Millimeter is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Tigerland. So oh, you must. Well, and and the thing too, I don't mean to get on the soapbox now about Batman and Robin, but I I had that anthology of the of the first four. And I watched all the making ofs, even the one for Batman and Robin. And the fascinating thing about that was the toy companies came in first and designed the film because they were launching the toys before the film even came out. Yeah. And I know that informed a lot of the filmmaking decisions. It, exactly. And yeah. so and how this ties into eight and a half, which might seem like way out there, but producers, they, you know, they, you've got to get the product out there. And so as much as you kind of hate, I think there are points where we don't, we're not supposed to like him as he's like, you know, make a decision. What about her? Does she look good? Let's, you know, she's fine. You know, cause they're watching the, um, the audition tapes. I felt so bad for the producer. If I'm on, I'm on the producer side and not on Guido's side, and this whole movie. No. And that's funny. It's, it's just, it's really, it really is interesting because I think I wish Guido was more sympathetic because as, as an artist, I'm like, this guy doesn't represent us. I, I hate that he's the focal oh, point. Oh, I love this. I love that you say that. Do you that know what makes I mean? me that makes me so happy to hear that. I just don't you know, I, I don't get to, I don't direct that much. I usually I'm an actor and and when you're in a show you know your you kind of know your role. You know, you're I'm an actor, it's not my ultimate vision that's coming out. So I, I get to chime in, but ultimately, you know, I, I don't get to make big decisions. But as a director, it's a different thing. You gotta keep a lot of things in mind. And there are, there are, I, I, I like to think that there are two different kinds of directors. There's the collaborative director, right? Which is like, I'm all about getting input from other people. I want to, they, I need, they need to help me. And then there's the dictator director. Whereas, no, it's my vision and you're basically movable pieces that are going to do what I, I tell you to do. And I think part of what makes, makes this movie weird is I don't know what, what one Guido is because he's definitely self-centered, but we well, never really we, see the movie he's trying to no, make. No, we don't get enough information about him as a director to really understand the depths of his character and the, the nuances that make him. All we get is a lot of posturing and and moodiness and yeah. uh, neurotic sort of behavior. And it's stuff that happens around him, that, that, that sort of comments on filmmaking and everything that I find really interesting. I, I loved the... Um, the interview at the end or when all the journalists are trying to ask him yeah. questions. And I, I do love that. I think... Can we... I feel like Fellini kind of invented that. I actually, I thought I heard something that paparazzi actually comes from paparazzo, which is a character in La Dolce Vita, and it's actually kind of where that comes from. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And so I, I think he filmed that so well. I love, I love the absurdity of him trying to escape under the table. Like I'm gonna get away from this. I can't answer your questions. Well, that's that's to... his most vulnerable moment, and I think that's a better moment than his fantasy harem. That, I think that informs him a lot more yeah. than just his fan. I don't, I'm not interested in his fantasies. I want to know who this man is. I, I would rather learn about his vulnerabilities than his fantasies. Sure. And I want to get to know him. I want to get to know that vulnerability through his memories, which is why I say there's a great film in here. It just chooses to focus on the wrong things. Yeah. That's a totally. Fair I would almost comment. rather ha approach it in a, in a, like I said, in a Citizen Kane way, in a sort of, in a sort of biopic sense yeah 
that's just again one man's opinion. No, I, know, I know that I know that I'm wrong because of how revered this film is. <laughs> but that's this is going to be again another very divisive episode. We, we talked about this last week with Duck Soup. I mean, we you can see how this helped influence, but it's not like we see what he did. We it was important what Fellini did, you know. But it's you know it rings different now than it did back then when it came out. I, mean, I think that's totally fair. Do you have a, what's your favorite shot or favorite moment in the in the movie? I think it has to do with his... It's either, one, his vulnerability at the press conference, or it's, it's as I mentioned, the scene with the wife in bed and the, yeah. and the distance between them and the fighting with their backs to each other. Yeah. That, to me, is... There are a few moments in a film that have rung as true as that moment, which is, I'm like, I wish this was in a better film. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it is the opening. I think it's the opening up until basically he gets cut as the kite and he falls down yeah. because at this point, you know, you have nothing, you have nothing else to compare it to, but it was just, it really, it drew me in. I can say that yeah. it really sucked me into the movie. Um, and made me more curious to find out what, what this is all about. Was there any, I wrote down, there were a couple of lines that stood out to me. I don't know if you had anything that kind of, uh, quotes that were, that were interesting. Well, everything, everything, the, the, critic says at the i love the critic's speech mm-hmm. at the end that that's great yeah there's something at the end towards the end it's not quite they, they haven't made it to the the set yet um which but, do you want to address the absurdity of that of the movie that they were going to make yeah <laughs> let's do it i i just what is this thing i don't know I don't know something about what the, like, it's it's some sort of science fiction film yeah maybe yeah. nuclear war i thought i but who knows? Yeah, yeah, but 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 Guido's being asked about the the movie, and obviously it's going wrong. And I, I do actually really like this this quote because I feel like it's something that an artist at some point at one time or the other is going to say, which is, "I really have nothing to say, but I want to say it anyway." Is that when he's talking to the actress Claudia? I yeah. think so. Yes, that, that's that's yeah. a good scene, and the scene that precedes it as well with his wife talking about how. They only get to see this version of you. Yeah, that's that's a again another well put thing. It's that's when they're watching the audition tapes, right? Yeah, it's afterwards where right she out. gets up and leaves. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really good back and forth. Yeah. right there. See, I'm in talking to you. I'm finding more things to appreciate about this film, not as a whole, but in moments. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, I, this is a film that's made up. I don't think it's a great film, but I think it's a film made up of great moments. I would agree. Yeah, and they're just kind of funny parts. Yeah, how do you feel about, did you read that, uh, because of how autobiographical this film is in nature, and and hearing that there was a note taped to Fellini's eyepiece that a cameraman happened to see that said, remember, this is a comedic film. Yeah. I think he he forgot, even in in writing it and putting it there, I think that he forgot that he was making a comedy. See, I... Still. I don't, I, I, I disagree, but I don't think that it's a comedy. No, but I also don't think it's it's not that heavy. I, or I I don't think it is. I mean, there are there are heavy moments, but I think overall, it's meant to be sort of lighthearted. I think it's meant to be sort of a, like a satirical kind of view, at least in terms of the filmmaking part of it. Not necessarily the. But it's a double-edged sword. It is because as an artist, do you really want to poke that much fun at yourself? And I feel like he's his feet are on it tonally. I think the film undercuts itself because I think he does have a foot planted both in the dramatic world and in the comedy world in this film and he can't quite decide what direction the film is going to go again like Guido there's so much about this film that feels sort of semi I, and again I don't know that much about Fellini but it does it certainly smacks of him putting a lot of himself into it yeah and not deciding which parts of himself he wants to reveal and what he wants to hold back and what he wants to poke fun of and what he wants to elevate yeah. in a sentimental way well, that's funny. I mean, and hopefully, I think you see the comparison with this. But what do you think of adaptation? Well, that's and that's the reason why I mentioned Charlie Kaufman. It's not just Synecdoche, New York. But yeah. yeah, I definitely. I mean, you can tell that Kaufman is a big fan of Fellini and a big fan of this film in general. Well, and the reason I, I bring up adaptation, not like before before being John Malkovich or anything, is just that adaptation really does. Not only is it about the process of kind of making a movie and all that, and more from obviously from the the screenwriting side of it, but. That is a movie that has one foot in the comedic world and one foot in the dramatic world as well. Well, I think the balance there is better. I would agree. I, I mean, I mean, I think I just think personally too, adaptations a better movie. Well, it's got better performances in it. That's funny you mentioned that. Like, I was struggling to think of 
what could go in the book instead. I mean, I don't think that this should come out because of its iconicness and what it means to people in the industry, but yeah. I think adaptation is a fine thing. Adaptation was in the book. Yeah. At one point. It's not anymore, which sucks, but yeah. And I, and I agree. And I'm, I'm, we can keep talking. I, I feel like we've kind of come to it. I, I, cause I, I also think the book should, the movie should be in the book, but it's not like with a resounding yes. You know, but yeah, I, did, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it to to everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, totally. I would agree. But I also, I, I think I enjoyed it more than I didn't, which I think might be a little different from you. Yeah, I think, I think I'm just on the other side of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I really hate the ending. Ending is ending's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's I, I kind of nuts. It. The original ending that he supposedly shot, mm-hmm. which was uh, the whole thing was supposed to be an allegory for death, which I think is a bit of a stretch. It's him going back to Rome with his wife and seeing all these people. He's still seeing all the people in the same way that he sees them at the end Mm -hmm. of the ending as it exists now, but they're all on the train with him. And he kind of does this, supposedly he does this kind of half smile as they go into the tunnel, which people felt was too much of a, an allegory for death, which I think you're really stretching it to say just because you go into a dark tunnel (laughs) doesn't mean you're dying. Yeah. Right. There was something about the ending with everybody, like all the hand holding on the beach and stuff, and the big, the big kind of giant circle they're making. I thought it was interesting, but again, I think the reason why, and, and, you, and you can help me because I, it's like about a week ago since I've watched this, so I, I kind of forget how exactly how the ending looks. But isn't it basically the camera's just kind of backing up as they're still on the beach? Yeah, and it just kind of ends, right? Yeah. Okay. I think the reason why I'm stuck in this idea of it was any of this real is because as the camera's backing up, obviously we're seeing a giant movie set and we see everybody, like we see all the crew of the movie. We see the people like rigging lights and we see the camera operators. We see everybody behind the scenes of it as this camera backs up. And in a way it almost looks like the camera is showing us a film being shot right at the moment. And so, again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I felt like it was kind of playing more with, with you know, what is reality? Is Was this whole thing a movie? Was this just an absurd movie that we made about a struggling guy and it really wasn't that autobiographical? I don't know. Which, to me, is, I mean, I, I understand that sentiment, but for me, that's a cop-out. No, sure. I, 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 don't, I don't like that ending. I just, yeah. I just I had the thought came up of, you know... Are you on the same page? Do you think that the train ending would, would have been the better ending? I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I can, I can without imagine. without having seen it. Yeah, obviously. it's it's tough. It's tough. No, I don't. I I, I liked it on the beach. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I I, I really initially liked. It, it wore off as it because I think they could have cut the ending a little bit quicker. But I did actually really enjoy the running around the circle with you know basically everybody we've seen in the movie so far kind of connecting his life together that way. I I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, I and I. I'm on the opposite side. I think it's unnecessary. I prefer if the movie ended with his final conversation with Claudia, I that would have been fine for yeah. me. Yeah. Personally, because what he says there is so uh I mean, it's 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 the moment where he actually finally gets to be deep. Yeah. I guess he gets to really like do some soul searching. No, I agree. I I absolutely agree. So it seems like it's a it's a lackluster yes from us. Yeah. Um, I also, well, while I'm thinking about the ending before we finish, I mean, what, I mean, he, somebody, somebody either hands him a gun or he has a gun in his jacket at the press conference. That's right. How would you, how would you feel if that was the ending? If he does actually kill himself at the press conference? I mean, that to me, wow. What a, what a statement. I don't, I don't know. It would have, wow. Yeah. That would have totally changed probably my entire opinion of the movie. Yeah. It would have been a shocking ending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, would you die for your art? Yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's interesting. That's interesting. And but and, and I guess what that would have also brought up too is you know, you know why is, is it so hard to admit defeat or to ask for help? You know, part of the part of the thing in this movie is he just cannot admit that he's in trouble. Yeah. That this that it's. I mean, he does kind of say I have writer's block. I I don't remember, but it's never, <clears throat> it's never taken so seriously that like oh well maybe we need to rethink. You know oh well we'll, we'll push. You know, because the whole thing is like, no, we're shooting like soon. Yeah. We're gonna just shoot. Well, this and everybody's movie. convinced that he he'll he will write the ship. He's had so many successes in the past that the ship will he'll write it and yeah. it'll be it'll be fine. He'll be fine. Don't worry about him. He's got this. Yeah. Whereas nobody is looking at the the deeper sort of problems. And if if he were 
to kill himself at the end of the film, and then you could really make the case for, wow, this is a film really about clinical depression as well, and really dig deeper into that, yeah. and somebody sort of reaching out for help and not knowing how to do that. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Kind of like, I don't know, I, maybe maybe it's just with the foreign films lately, because they kind of, a lot of them have been older, and, and I think there's just time for them to, to ruminate, but... Like and with varying degrees of how much I like them, but like Stalker and Seventh Seal and Eight and a Half, like I do. And the I, Samurai. Yes, yes. I, I just kind of afterwards I do think a lot about these movies, and maybe because it's just you know I'm I'm focusing harder because it's in, they're you know they're foreign films and so I'm reading them and I'm yeah. getting a little bit more and obviously it's for a podcast too, so we're just trying to. But a lot, of, a lot of these movies are on the surface, you know, like Titanic, not too long ago, right? It's no. just, you get that. Duck Soup, you don't got to think too hard about it. But there's a lot going on here, yeah. which I just find interesting. I will, while we're talking about the other foreign films that we've done, I will say Stalker has definitely stayed with me. I think about Stalker. I think about Stalker almost every day <laughs> uh, because of the way that I drive into work. I actually have to cross over these overgrown train tracks. Ah. And so it's just, and it just looks like a shot out of stalker yeah um so there, there's just a little something there but i mean it's, i thought you would appreciate that i think it'll be fun i i mean i'll just say it on the podcast now but i think it'll be fun when we get to like 50 to like maybe maybe rank the movies we've done not all oh, of wow. them but like you know what's our top five of the 50 we've done so far i i'm gonna find it hard to believe that stalker wouldn't land in mine i, but don't, the, I don't know I, yeah. the other one that stayed with me i mentioned the samurai they were so good it's, it's so, so much better it's so much better than this oh, the, oh, wow. the samurai will stay with me Long after eight and a half is faded. That's yeah, that's fair. So yeah, so like like we've said, these are lackluster yeses, but we do we do recognize the significance of this. Oh, film. there's a lot to be appreciated. Shot yeah. and and it really has influenced a lot of prominent directors. Um, hey, but that's just two humble men's opinion. We'd love to hear what you think about. Well, I eight don't and a half. I don't know how humble I am, but continue. Whatever. Fine. Just take the damn compliment. It's not going to happen. Fine. Um, but you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can let us know if you think we're humble or what you think about Eight and a Half. Um, if you're listening, you are most likely listening on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify. Um, please like us, rate us, review us. Um, we want to know what you think. You know, we want to improve the podcast. So let us know. Um, hey, until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.